Our reading for today is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 8 to 17, and in page 790. If you don't have the Bible with you, you can raise your hand so that our volunteers can come to pass you a copy. I will start with verse 8. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When John's disciple came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unsunk, unstrung cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is the word of God. Thanks, Celine. If you can keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 9 as we go through the series, I'm sure it'll help you as it will help me. Um, I don't know what you've been feeling with uh, following all the news and things. I think one of the things that I'm learning is that actually this conflict will not go away, right? It's uh, uh, something that is in our horizon. Actually, we, we need to be ready. We can't just react to the things that are happening each day. Uh, but we actually need to think long term, long term about how God is going to use us. Um, to, uh, to, to be disciples in this uh, time of tension and turbulence. What does that mean? And not just for us. We need to think for long term, long term, what that means for our children, how to raise our children to have that faith in Jesus that will not just last for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30, but 30 years and 40 years, no matter what the future brings. And the thing, I mean, that's, that's got to be at the very least mean that we lean in and, and ask God to help us to be better disciples of Jesus today, uh, for our faith to grow today, uh, for us to be better followers of Jesus today so that we could continue to follow Jesus no matter what happens. And that's uh, what this text is about, really. It's about following Jesus. And let's pray that God will speak to us and make us disciples who will follow him no matter what happens um, to, the, to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us you have called each one of us to be your disciple, to be followers of Jesus. And Lord, we need to be better followers now more than ever. We need to prepare ourselves not just for the next year or two years, but 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, not just for ourselves, but for our children. 
uh, not just for our children, but for the city. Lord, would you help us to grow in this time, to be better followers of Jesus, to be disciples who live in the path of the cross with the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be people who are different. Help us to be people who have the good news of Jesus um, and, and be able to offer it to the world around us. And Lord, we pray now that you will speak to us through these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember someone from Diocese of Virginia um, in charge of church growth, uh, church planting and growth, to come uh, to speak to my dad's church a while back. She said something like, ask yourselves, who are the movers and shakers of your community? Because if you can get a few of those people to come to church, the people who sort of inspire others to come, your church will grow. I remember most of us sitting there nodding our heads and just trying to think, do I know anybody like that? And how do I invite such a person to our church? Who would you invite if that was the advice that was given to you? As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said to him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew would not have made any of our, anyone's lists. Tax collectors, as you know, back then were not people who were respected. They were not like accountants. They were, uh, they were counted as sinners. They were swindlers. They got rich uh, collecting money for the Roman Empire. Right? They were traitors of their own home country. And not only that, the empire didn't mind how much money that you kept. Right? The tax collectors kept the money for themselves, and that's how they got rich off of their own people's back. Can you imagine, right, in 1945 or before, during the World War II in Hong Kong, uh, inviting somebody, a tax collector for Hong Kong, who's collecting money for the Japanese, who's getting rich of Hong Kong people's back, inviting him to be a member of Shatin Church Committee. Tax collectors were traitors. Everybody hated them. They were synonymous uh, uh, for sinners, with sinners. And Jesus says, You follow me. When Matthew throws a party to celebrate his newfound status, Jesus is pleased to eat with all of his friends. I imagine some of the most despised people in Israel had gathered to that dinner party. Those who colluded with the Roman Empire, those who got rich off the people's back, because likes attract likes. Matthew's friends, I'm sure, were those kinds of people. And Jesus ate with them all, verse 10. Not in a way that made them feel uncomfortable. In a way that made them so comfortable that people started questioning Jesus' character. Verse 11, right? They questioned Jesus' character saying, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Partly this was because eating in that culture was much more than just eating. It was saying, you're my friend. You're now in my inner circle. You're my family. That's what that meant for them. But rabbis, rabbis didn't actively recruit their disciples. It was beneath their station. But remember, Jesus went out deliberately to ask Matthew to be one of his disciples. And when I asked why, he says in his words, he came for them. He came for people like them. When Pharisees questioned Jesus' wisdom, he responds in verse 12, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, 
but, for, uh, but the sick. He came, he says, for the sick. Well, who exactly are the sick, though, anyway? Was it just Matthew and his friends? Because Jesus adds in verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He sounds like a typical rabbi. Learn what the Bible says. Just go back and see what this passage says in Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But inside this challenge was actually an accusation, a damning one. Because he's not just saying, learn to be more merciful. He's actually quoting Isaiah, Isaiah, a, a, a prophet who lived in the 6th century B.C. who condemned the ancient Jews for having the outward shell of a religion but no substance. You see, by quoting Hosea, Jesus is saying, Pharisees, you are like those Jews who have the outward form of religion but no substance. You think yourselves to be really good. But what Jesus is saying to them, you are sicker, you are worse than the sinners that you accuse of being sinners. In fact, back then in the 6th century, the Jews were so bad that God actually punishes them in the most unthinkable way. They were driven out of the promised land. The temple was destroyed. That was the punishment. And Jesus is saying, you are like them. It's not just those people. You are sick as well. How do we see ourselves? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a sinner who needs a cure? Who needs a cure or a pretty good person, not like them? Because that makes all the difference whether we will come running to Jesus or not. If you're sick and dying, if you knew you were sick and there's a doctor who can heal you, wouldn't you make that person your priority? Wouldn't you go to him? But if you think you're healthy, well, Jesus isn't necessary for you. The only people whom Jesus cannot heal are people who do not need Jesus, who don't think they need Jesus. And friends, all of us are sick. All of us. Some of us are sicker than others, but we are all sick. I need only to look at my thoughts, what goes on in my heart, how often I am selfish and lustful and proud or self-righteous, greedy. But I don't need to wallow in my heart condition because I have a doctor, Jesus who came for the sick to heal us, to change us. Jesus has come for sinners, not the righteous. And I hope you can see that the way of Jesus then is completely different from all other religions, all other ways. It's a completely different way of doing religion. Because think about all the, the, the premise of every other religion is you have to be good. Or at the very least, you have to be better than you are now. Right? And if that's the premise, you are going to recruit as many good people as possible and you're going to try to make them better. I mean, think about all the other religions. Hinduism is about striving for karma, right? We strive to the right thing according to one's duty and and ability at all times and the goal is to escape the cycle of death and rebirth. You have to be better. You have to break out of that circle. Buddhism, Buddha's last words famously were, Strive with earnestness. 
It's difficult to empty yourselves of the desires of this world because the world is constantly changing. So you have to work hard at it. You have to achieve that inner peace by emptying yourself. You have to achieve your own salvation. Five pillars of Islam are all the things that you are supposed to do, right? Saying of uh, Shahada, there's only God, uh, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. One, pray five times a day, pay alms to the needy, fast during Ramadan, go, go to Mecca on a pilgrimage. These are all the things that you have to do. Judaism, although it offered salvation for God's people freely, it became perverted into a religion of works. It became about not associating with sinners. It became about how much, how many times you fast. You see it in the question in verse 14. When John's disciples come and ask, how is it that the Pharisees fast often? We and the Pharisees fast often, but you don't fast at all. Your disciples don't fast at all. Remember, the Old Testament asked people, Jewish people, to fast only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And the reason why is to, for them to mourn for their sins, to realize how sinful they are. Once a year they come as they offer sacrifice and ask God to forgive their sins. They're supposed to fast and, and mourn for their sins, reflect on how terrible they have been. But look at the implied reason why the Pharisees and John's disciples fast. They fasted not because they were, they, they fasted not to mourn their sins. They were supposed to, uh, um, they, they fasted uh, because it became a marker of righteousness. That's why they fasted often, not to feel so bad about their sins, to, but feel good about how righteous they were. Because if you think about it, if they fasted often and they mourned for their sins often, wouldn't they identify with other sinners who were there? But that's not the, how they are. They become, they think they're much better than the sinners because they fasted often. And Jesus offers a different way, a completely different way because he's a different kind of a savior. He is the savior that the world was longing for. Look what he says about himself in his answer, right? He says to the disciples, they don't fast because he is the groom. He's the bridegroom who has come, who has come for a wedding celebration. The reference might be unfamiliar to us, but to Jewish people, it would have been crystal clear what what he meant. The Old Testament often likened God himself to be the husband of Israel. This is Isaiah 54, 5 to 6a. For you, your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of, the all the, uh, God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were, if you were a wife deserted and dis, uh, distressed in spirit. Hosea 2.19 and 20. On that day, I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, I am the groom. I am God himself who has come to marry his people. And if I have come, then nobody should be fasting because it's a time of celebration. How could you fast when I have come? That's right, Paul. (laughs) How could you fast when I have come? The God that you have been waiting for, the salvation that you have been waiting for has come to you. You don't fast while I'm here, he says. 
And if they didn't get the reference right away, he makes it clear in verses 16 and 17. He says, uh, as he uh, talks about uh, what it means to live in this new era, you don't mix, he says, the old and the new together because they're often incompatible. Right? You don't sew an unshrunken cloth, new cloth, onto an old shrunken one because if you sew them together and you wash them, well, the new one will shrink and pull away from the old. It will make the whole thing useless. You don't put the, uh, the uh, new wine into an old wineskin because the old wineskin was brittle and it was, it, was, it, was, it was tough and it was brittle. It was hard. And if uh, you pour the new wineskin, as, as it ferments, it'll produce all that gas and it'll burst the old, uh, old wineskin open. And if these things don't make sense to you, I'm thinking about installing, if you have a, an old computer, right? Installing a new Windows operating system into an old hardware. Well, actually, it will make both of it useless. The old hardware cannot handle the new operating system. It will make both useless, unusable. And Jesus is saying through all of it that he is God himself. He has, he's the Savior who brings a new era of salvation, new era of relating to God. And it's him. He has brought it. And we've seen this already in Matthew. Normally, touching a leper would make somebody, somebody who touched the leper, unclean. But actually, in this era, when Jesus touches a leper, Jesus doesn't become unclean. This person, this leprous person, became clean. In an old era, right, if you, you, know, if you wanted to uh, find forgiveness of sins, you went to the temple with the sacrifices, you ask God as you kill these animals, right? You ask God to forgive your sins in that way. But in this new era, Jesus says, your son, your sins are forgiven. And he's forgiven because Jesus brings that cleanliness in this new era because the temple pointed to the sacrifice that Jesus will bring. And he has the authority now to forgive sins to all those who come to him. And in this era of grace, deserve and, and, and don't deserve is not a category that's useful anymore. Nobody, nobody deserves this grace. But everybody is given freely if only they come to Jesus. If they only come and ask. And that's because Jesus has come to give himself. God who became a human being who went to the cross for us, who fulfilled all the righteousness of the law, but died the death that we deserve. So whoever comes to him will receive that grace freely. That doesn't mean, though, that sinners will stay sinners. After all, Jesus quoted Hosea 6.4, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He still desires mercy. He desires for his followers to be changed, to have a new relationship with God and to live their lives in a different way. You see, it's not that Jesus lowered the moral standards. If you know, you know, we went, to, we went through Sermon on the Mount a while back. If you know Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, if you know Jesus' teaching elsewhere, you know that he didn't lower the standards. In fact, his standards are impossibly high. You see, Jesus came, uh, what Jesus came to do was to make us a new people. People who are empowered 
by the power of His Spirit to be in relationship with them, to live a different way than they could before, to be transformed. That's why He came. Here's the, here's the thing. The only way that we can be transformed into people who can obey God, who have that relationship with God, who can please Him in, a different, in this way, is to come and be touched by Jesus. Because Jesus tells us, later on in Matthew, chapter 15, 19 to 20, Jesus will tell His disciples, for out of, your, out of our hearts, out of the heart comes evil thought, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defiles a person. Out of our hearts come all these different things that defile us. You see, recognizing that we are sinners in need of God's grace is not a small thing because it's the first step to coming to Jesus for a heart surgery, coming to Jesus to be changed completely by him into a new person through Christ our doctor. You might know Eustace in C.S. Lewis's Dawn Treader. In that book, C.S. Lewis writes, it's part of the Chronicle of Narnia series. In that book, Eustace is a little boy. Um, He goes to this uh, dragon lair and he steals uh, uh, gold and other treasure from uh, this dragon. And he falls asleep and wakes up and the next day he finds himself to be a dragon. Then Aslan shows up. Aslan, if you don't know, um, is, uh, is God type in, in the book. Aslan shows up and wants Eustace to come and follow him. But in order to do so, he needs to be changed back into a boy. He needs to go through this pool of water and he needs to be changed. So uh, Eustace then performs this surgery on himself. With his claws, he starts digging and scratching himself. I'll read this part for you. And then I scratched a little deeper, and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started to peel off beautifully, like it does after an illness or as if I were a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was the most lovely feeling. But then when he went through the water to follow Aslan, he quickly realizes that the scales had formed again. It had hardened again. And it, the, the water stung, and he couldn't go and follow, follow Aslan. And so he does it again and again, three times, in fact. And it's at that point Aslan says to him, you'll have to let me do it. So he lets Aslan do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone, uh, gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I have felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of, of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only it hadn't hurt then. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath, now that I'd no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything. But for a moment, and after that it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. He needed to, he needed to let Aslan do it. He needed to go not just skin deep, but all the way into his heart. And when Aslan touches his heart, and when Aslan takes all that stuff off, it's only then 
He became a boy. Friends, we don't normally think that we're beastly dragons. But there are moments, aren't there? There are moments in your life as you live your lives. Maybe it's a fit of rage, fit of envy, or fit of, I don't know, lust or pride or self-righteousness or whatever. You come to realize, actually, there's a deep problem with me in my heart. And no matter what I do, actually, that's not something that I can touch. That's something that Jesus needs to touch. It's something that God only can transform. Christianity isn't about bringing a superficial change to ourselves, to our already pre-decent life. It's coming to Jesus and asking, Lord, I need to become a new person. I need a heart surgery, a heart surgery that changes me from a person who constantly strives to be self-righteous, constantly looks down on other people, constantly lies and lusts and compares and is greedy. I need to be healed by you. I need to become a new person through Christ. That's what Christianity is all about. And the deeper obedience that Jesus is looking for can only happen after that. Remember, if you've been in the series, look back at chapter 8. There are two disciples. After Jesus does the, the three miracles of healing, two disciples want to come and follow Jesus. And Jesus basically turns them away. They can't follow Jesus. They couldn't do it because they were pretty good people wanting to be better in following Jesus, wanting to improve. But then Jesus went right into their hearts said, look, you're looking for comfort. Your family is before me, and you cannot follow me in this way. They didn't have this desperate need for Jesus. They didn't see the real need, and so they couldn't follow. But you know what? Matthew could. Matthew could because he was a sinner. He knew himself to be a sinner, and Jesus calls him to follow him, to be his disciple. And because he answered, later on he would receive a new heart. Because Jesus died and rose again and breathes his spirit into him, this tax collector would become an apostle of Christ, a writer of the gospel bearing his name, somebody who preaches from Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. Jesus is still calling unworthy sinners to be his disciples. If you haven't done it, would you do that now? Would you come to him and say, I am a sinner. I need you to come and touch me. And for all of us, let's follow him. Let's follow him with that deeper obedience that he calls us for, towards with a heart that's transformed, that puts Christ first before anything else. This city needs Jesus, followers most. It needs it desperately. Let's pray that God will call us and that we will follow. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are sinners before you, that our hearts are crooked, that it always, always looks for idols, looks for something else to fill us. Lord, would you come and touch us and heal us? Would you fill us with your spirit again and help us to put you before anything else, 
before the, our needs, before our family, before anything that, is, that, that, that the world is demanding. Help us to be followers of Jesus who know the grace of Jesus in the most deep way, in the deepest possible way, that we might follow him no matter where he calls us. Lord, we know that that's not possible by ourselves. So, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to respond to your call in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.